Aloha. You are listening to, and for the first time watching, if you're on YouTube, the Dangerous Love Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and I'm here with Eliza Elkington, principal of Sunset Elementary School. Aloha, Eliza. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Eliza and I are long-term friends, and we're even related now. And that's <laughs> uh, that's been really cool. I've known her since she was a first grade teacher. First grade, right? First grade teacher yep. at Laie Elementary, and then she became vice principal of Laie Elementary School and is now the principal at... I'm actually a temporary assigned principal. The temporary assigned principal, let's get that correct, at, yeah. <laughs> at Sunset Elementary School. And like many of us has had her world turned upside down with COVID-19 as, as an educator. We're bringing her onto the podcast, though, for a slightly different reason. If there's one consistent theme that I've heard from parents throughout this whole thing is our teachers should be paid more. Now that their <laughs> kids are home 24-7 and they're trying to educate their kids and keep their kids busy and having to discipline their kids and, and everybody's stuck together in the same space, it's been really overwhelming. And, and literally the number one request that we've had has been from parents, both of young kids as well as teenagers, saying, how do we do this? Right? How do we show dangerous love towards our kids when sometimes we just want to run out of the house screaming? We want, to, we want our kids to leave us alone. We want to hear the quit saying mom, mom, mom. And I thought, who better than an, than an educator who really has had to deal with this every day of her life to think about how we handle some of those topics as parents and can get better at loving our children who are also struggling and also going through all the same things that we are and processing this in their own ways. Her school's done some amazing things. Yesterday, they did a car parade, which was so yeah. cool. We saw you actually coming up the hill. And, and, and really what touched me, it was so touching that this, the teachers all decorated their cars and went by waving at everybody. But what really touched me was to see all the kids with the signs on the yeah. side of the road um, they really, you know, there's always this joke that you don't want to go to school. You can't wait for summer, whatever. They really, really miss school. And they really miss their teachers. And it was, it was really cool to see. Yeah. Yesterday was a really special day for all of us. Like it was just a, it was an uplifting thing that we all needed. Um, but we talk about the kids being stressed, but the teachers too, and the administrators and the support staff, everybody is stressed. Everybody is struggling. And so to do that parade and just see people face to face and feel that love through signs and waves and horn honking was just so uplifting. It was really, really good. Okay, so let's start. I, I just got, I had a number of questions from people and I, I sent you a few of them ahead of time, but let's start with maybe the least important, but I, I, I shouldn't say that to a teacher right now, but there's lots of things <laughs> going on in the home, but how do we educate our kids at home? Because they're missing school right now and- and I, I know some schools have sent home packets and some homework. Some some parents, unfortunately, are kind of left to their own. But it's it's not just educating; it's keeping them on a schedule, and and keeping them engaged and interactive during during the day, so that we're not just sitting at home playing video games or or watching Netflix all day. That's the biggest war in our house is is screen time. Yeah. How do we do that? How do how do you keep? young people engaged and keep them learning and, and excited about learning? Yeah. So my, I think one of my uh, suggestions that I really wanted to talk about is just to set up a daily schedule. 
Um, it sounds really silly, but we were joking earlier how I really loved getting dressed today and coming into work today. I'm here on campus with only about 10 of us, so we have a staggered schedule so we can get some essential things done. But getting dressed every day and getting up every day and brushing your teeth and, and having breakfast and having that routine is really, really key. Um, and I, for kids, I think especially, it's really important for them to have that routine. Um, I've given my families the suggestion of about three hours a day for schoolwork, and that includes a half hour of PE. Okay. So really it's only two and a half hours of really doing that academic work. And then the Zoom calls and the virtual stuff should be under an hour a piece. So um, those are just some guidelines that I have. And then I think families have to figure out what works best for them if they want to do maybe an hour in the morning and then take a big long break and then an hour in the afternoon, or some families might want to do it all together. Um, either way is fine, but as long as you have that schedule and, and make sure the kids know that schedule, post that schedule vis visibly so the kids can see it, and then try and stick to that schedule. Um, and then my other part to that is going to sound contradictory, but if it doesn't work, give yourself the permission to take the day off. If you need to just stop and go surf, then that's what you go do. Um, so we can try and do this schedule, but we don't, we're not going to be rigid about it and say that we have to do it every single day because sometimes it's going to flop and, and it won't work. That is really great advice and, and probably good advice for adults as well, right? To make yeah. a schedule. I've been doing that at, at, at work and, and it makes things easier. Yeah. But I also think that parents are learning that teaching is a skill as well, right? It's not just like rolling out worksheets in, in front of children and they're like, oh, automatically know what to do. That, that teachers are actually highly skilled and they know how to engage young people and how to get the best out of them. And I think that's, that's a big realization. You're not babysitting these kids for six, seven, eight hours a day. You're teaching them. But a lot of parents don't have those skills that they haven't trained the same way that teachers have. What are some tips, some good teaching tips that you could give parents as they're trying to help their kids with their homework or, to, or just to keep engaged that that could be helpful? So I am really concerned about that topic in general. Like I feel like we are now asking a nation full of parents to be teachers. And you're right, they're not educated to be teachers. And some of them are better at it than others. Um, so I guess my number one tip is to, to um, give yourself space to not be good at it. I mean, we, you know, we can't train a, teach, a parent how to do this in five minutes. It, these are, these are tips and tricks that teachers have learned through the, the years of teaching. Some of them have been teaching for 30 years. So um, I don't know, I guess, I guess one of my biggest tricks would be to make sure and um, set to chunk work. So to mm -hmm. take breaks and to set small goals. So if you give a kid, you know, let's say they had a learning packet that's this thick. You can't just st stick that down on the table and say, okay, now it's time for your learning packet. You have to chunk it for the kids. So say do, you know, problems one through three, and then we're gonna go take um, a break on the deck and do 10 jumping jacks and you know have a snack so chunking the work I think is a really important uh, trick that teachers do all the time um, and then the other tip that I just wanted to talk about is to make sure to don't feel like this is gonna look like school this we're not sitting down for seven hours a day or six hours a day we're not 
you know, the, the, their peers aren't around, their teacher's not around. We don't expect it to look like school. It's going to look different and it's going to look different in every family. So um, be flexible with yourself and give yourself the permission that you might not be good at it and take lots of breaks. I, I want to add one. I'm a college professor. I don't do elementary work or whatever, but I, I've noticed one thing that seems to be really helpful as, as an educator and as a teacher, and that's not focusing on the weaknesses of students, mm. but trying to bring out their strengths. We, mm-hmm. And as parents, we probably know our kids' weaknesses better than anybody. And there is a tendency, especially when we're cooped up together in this situation, to obsess a little bit with that. We know where their limitations are. We know where their weaknesses are. And we can get frustrated with those really quickly. I think good teachers have a special gift about being able to see the potential in young people and, and work really hard to bring that out of them so that they can have confidence in what they're doing and what have you. And, and it seems like that should be an obvious tip for parents as well. But I think sometimes when we're so close, right, it actually is, is harder. Like, have you ever been surprised when a teacher has said something awesome about your kid that you didn't really know yourself? But the answer right. for all of my kids was yes, their best teachers at times would tell me about abilities they had or something special that they did that I wasn't actually seeing as a parent. And so we, we use this phrase a lot in the book of, of Dangerous Love about seeing people as people. And it seems like this, this isn't going to be true, but I actually really believe it's true. Sometimes the hardest people to see as people are children. Mm. And, and to see them with their own thoughts, desires, and feelings, their own insecurities, their own, and in this case, their own pain that they're going through right now and whatever their situation is, that, that how they're processing all of this and all the changes that are happening at home and, and have that empathy that really is that we're working together with you on this. And, and my job is to bring out the best in you, not just to get you to hammer out a worksheet or what have you, or not to get frustrated when you're struggling with math or you keep getting distracted or putting, you know, if that was a teacher every day at school, it would be, it'd be nightmare, right? Teachers know how to do this. And I think it's one of the attachments that those young people have to you and why they were standing, you know, in the grass and waving because you see the best in them. Yeah. That's a really good, a really good point. Yeah. To see the best in, in what the kids can do. And then to also to realize that kids are kids learn differently. So don't expect every kid to get on a computer and do the computer work that's assigned. Don't expect every kid to get on the worksheet and do the worksheet that's assigned. Sometimes they might need to get, you know, for math, they might need to get out the Skittles and start really getting some hands-on manipulatives going so that they can learn it. They might have to do math through, you know, physically getting up and doing 10 jumping jacks and then counting or maybe doing their times tables by, you know, jumping jacks or things like that. So you can't expect every kid to learn the same way. So that's good. That's really good advice to see the bet, what they're good at and focus on that. All right, let's pivot to another key part of teaching, which is classroom management, <laughs> right? Uh, you think about a first grade teacher, she has a bunch of five, six, six-year-olds so sometimes like 18, 20, sometimes 25 of them, which should yeah. be a circus and a zoo, right? If you think <laughs> about it. And a lot of our homes 
right now, let's be honest, look like a circus in a zoo right now. Mine, honestly, I'm like waiting for the elephants to walk through the through the living yeah. room any day. But it doesn't look like that in a well-run classroom at, at all. And so can you give parents some tips about how to create class rules or home rules or boundaries or expectations about about behavior? Because I think teachers are actually pretty good at this. And parents often often aren't, right? They get away with a lot more at home than they would at school. It is home and they should have space to get away with some stuff. But at least for part of the day, what are some rules or tips that you have about classroom management, which now that classroom is in our home, so it's home management? So I would say for that, I would say the same advice that I would give my teachers or that I used as a teacher. And that is you don't have more than five rules. You keep it very simple. Don't go past five. And then the second thing is that those five rules have got to be created collaboratively with the kids. Okay. If you just lay down the five rules that the kids have no connection to it, they're not going to want to do it because it's they, they weren't invested in it. But if you collaboratively talk about it and say, hey, what would five agreements be during our learning time, during this three-hour block that we agreed that we're going to do some learning time, what are five things that you think would be, you know, reasonable for our family? And then same thing like the schedule, post that so that you can refer to it. And um, in the classroom, what we do a lot of the time is we have the kids sign that paper. So we write down the five rules and then every kid takes a different color pen and signs it. You could do that at home with kids too. Have them sign it and then you can refer to it. Hey, wait, we agreed that, you know, one of our rules was that we weren't going to um, (laughs) crumple up our sibling's packet (laughs) or whatever the rule is that you decide. You know what I mean? You got to decide on those five things and then you can refer to it if it's posted. You can say, hey, you agreed to this. You signed this. We came up with this rule together. So let's follow the rules. This is great advice. By the way, this is the exact same advice that I give mediators. Uh, that you're going to set rules in a mediation. You do it collaborative. Collaborative problem solving is the way. If you do it and impose it, people resist and try to figure out and 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 push back. When you do it yeah. collaboratively, and and look, the key thing is collaborative. That means that you have a voice as a parent as well in what right. your needs are as a parent. It's just also that the child has a voice, and that voice is equal in in that in that sense. And you have to learn how to problem solve together. And I think this is. The, the book, Dangerous Love, that I wrote, one of the several of the chapters around conflict styles, and we struggle with this because we're either avoiders. There's parents out there that just don't want to really talk about rules because they don't think it's going to go well. There's accommodating parents that are just like, hey, whatever my kids want, that's the path of least resistance. There's competitor parents that are actually imposing and forcing everything in the home and, and the children don't have any say at all. And collaboration is a skill where we take our needs and their needs, and we see both of them, and then we engage in dialogue around those, and we come up with really, and I think this is the other key thing about rules, they have to be like actionable rules. They can't be vague rules like we're going to try hard. Like they have to have something that you can measure so that you know whether actually the rule is being followed or the expectations are being followed as well. But this is crazy great advice just in general. Right about when we're trying to solve problems together, we need to do it together and not just impose it, nor just let our kids go and do whatever whatever they want to do. What happens when 
those rules, as you know, happen all the time and expectations that aren't met. So I think oh, that's a really hard question because you're at home and my, my, I really want to share my advice about being flexible. Um, so I, I, you know how you're talking about being really rigid and, and following these rules that we should try and follow these rules, but there's also a point where you have to say sometimes, Hey, we're done for the day. It's not going to work today. We're going to take a break. We're going to go build a blanket fort and be done for the day okay. because it's not working. But then before you get to that point, you know, if they're just little infractions that are happening, then there probably needs to be some sort of rewards and consequences kinds of things, just like you would do in the classroom. What, what are so some things that you've seen work as far as that goes? At home or at the at, no at school, right? Like uh, our ki kids get really excited about this at school and things that they can earn or uh, right yeah. or they they want stars or whatever whatever the system yeah. is. I think rewards and consequences work really well at school. For little kids, love that they they know they respond to it. They know how to do it. Um, so I'm thinking that that probably would work at home as well. So you could kind of keep some sort of a chart that's, you know, if you did your learning time and you followed the rules, there's some kind of reward. And it doesn't always have to be a tangible reward, but it could be, you know, extra time one-on-one uh, -on -one with, with a parent or extra time on the trampoline or, you know, things like that. And then food is also <laughs> a great reward. I mean, kids, you know, love, you get to make a special snack with mom if you follow the rules and you do, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. Something like that. Even a star, weirdly sometimes. Yes. <laughs> or a sticker with on it is, is enough. I've always said that I can't be a high school teacher because they don't respond to stickers. So <laughs> Some do. Yes, little, littles are great with stuff like that. Charts and stickers and stars, it all works. The kids love it. And I even find with my older kids, and I've got a few teenagers in the home, that they, they they're, you're right, the stickers probably don't get it done, but it also yeah. doesn't mean like we have to buy them a car, right? Like there's, right. there's middle ground there for them. And as much as the teenagers want independence, and I've noticed that, you know, that's always the case, but even more so now, I've also seen that they get frustrated when there isn't that structure there as well and again i think that's a negotiation especially as the kids get older as well that they need to be involved in the decision making more and there needs yeah. to be more explanation all right this one from a lot of moms how do i keep my kid from saying mom four thousand times a day <laughs> and and literally wanting my mom to or dad in some cases but i let's be honest that's it's often mom to like do my work with me. That would never happen in the classroom. The teacher doesn't sit down and do the work for the student. It's not really appropriate for the kid to raise his hand every single second and just ask for help, 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 right? Yeah. How do you manage that in the classroom? Because again, you don't actually see that happening in the classroom most of the time, at least in well-run classrooms. But I think it's something that parents have been absolutely overwhelmed with right there's no free time there's no space there's no boundaries it's just mom 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 and, and especially on on work stuff where they could do this independently at school now that they're home they want to sit on the lap and have everything done with them yeah 
I think one of the things is important to remind them of school and to remind them, hey, remember, you were able to do this in school. So I know you're capable of doing this and we're going to expect that from you. And maybe even include that as part of the rules. Like, you know how to do this. You're able to do this for this amount of time on your own. And we're expecting that at home, too, because you, we know that you are able to do it. Um, one of the things we use in the classroom a lot is called Ask Three Before Me. I love this. This so, is Everybody turn up your volume right now. This is, yeah. this is brilliant what Eliza's about ready to say. Yeah. So Ask Three Before Me is just that they have to go ask three people before they go ask the teacher. So they can ask a peer, they can ask um, maybe an aide in the classroom or so at home that would basically be siblings or dad or <laughs> or mom or whoever's, you know, they ask three before me. So you got to try and figure it out yourself. And I guess in this scenario, you could include um, Google, ask Google before asking or Alexa yeah. or, or Siri Alexa or Siri. So there's your classroom aid. You got to ask three before you actually go to the parent and expect the parent to help. Also, almost all of these young people, maybe not the youngest, but almost all of them are connected to friends. They're chatting with friends. Yeah. They they have right. Instagram Messenger. Yeah, text a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What about other boundaries? Because boundaries is part of this as well, and they're harder to maintain at home. Any other strategies that you have around? just creating and, and keeping some boundaries, if nothing else for the sanity of parents that feel like they literally can't spend more than five minutes without being interrupted with something. Yeah. You know, that's a really hard one. And we're, none of us are good at this. None of us are used to being home 24 seven with our whole family members. You know, my husband and I share an office and we drive each other crazy sometimes because the, the, there is no boundary. I mean, how do you create a boundary when you're both in the same space and you're both trying to have a Zoom meeting? Like, it's just, it's impossible. But I do feel like, um, I don't know, boundaries in general, I think are really important for kids and I think they crave it. They, they try and rebel against it, but yet they crave it because it helps them feel safe. It helps them know like, this is the limit where I can't cross this boundary and I have to do this thing. And so I think part of part of creating those boundaries is modeling those boundaries. So saying, um, you know, I need alone time for this amount of time. I'm going to go in my room, I'm gonna close the door and I need this time to myself and you guys need to respect that um, because you need that time too by yourself. Um, or other boundaries might be like screen time, how often they're on the computer, or how often they're, you know, playing a video game or watching movies and stuff. Modeling is so huge. If you as a parent are texting and on your phone and watching Netflix 24-7, there's no way you can expect kids to follow a boundary of that they only get a couple hours a day. So modeling, I think, is a really big thing when kids watch what you do, then they they are apt to follow. One that we've been trying to work on that admittedly is hard and the boundary gets crossed more than I would like, but what have you is about space. And again, this doesn't work in every home, but creating spaces, they're learning spaces. And yes. that's what happens in that space is learning. And Netflix doesn't happen in that space or other things there. And, and there's certain rules that are there. And And for parents, this has been a big one for me, having a space to go in the home that's your space and it's not the kid's space right and for that's that's for us our bedroom 
and that that's not a place for them to hang out. That's not a place for them to, to read or to study or just whatever. If mom or dad or both of us are there, then they, that's not, that's not a space that they cross. And, and then they also get to the extent that they can some spaces that are theirs and like in, in our family, kids share rooms. And so it's not perfect that they just have, uh, you know, a space that's alone to themselves, but also a space that they can go when they need to get away, I think is, is important as well. But I, I would, I would highly recommend that you think about it's okay to tell your kids you're not allowed in this room. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is, this is mom's space or dad's space right now. And in this space, when we're here, you're not, you're not here. And I think that that, especially given how cramped everything is, will give you some sense of getting, because I think we all need it, some more than others. I'm, I'm yeah. probably more on the high end of, of needing some alone time and some space to myself and what have you. But I think if you can set those boundaries and also give them the chance to be able to set some boundaries as well that are important to them, especially maybe with siblings and other things like that, again, you're going to have more sanity than when there's no boundaries and everybody is just constantly stepping on each other. Yeah, it's super important. I, I think that word collaboration comes up again. You know, you want to, if you want those spaces for yourself as a parent, we need to allow the kids to have those spaces as well um, and make sure that they have a voice in that. I think one of the hugest things is that kids need to feel heard and listened to. Um, and I, I, I just think it's really important that we hear their voices and that they collaborate with us as we come up with these family plans at home of how to do this. How do we do this quarantine? How do we do this at home learning? We got to do it together as a family. If we just become dictators and try and set up um, everything on our own and then bring it down to the kids, it's not going to work. They have to be a part of the collaborative conversation about boundaries, about where you're going to work, about rules, about all of it. So. Okay, last question. This is a conflict resolution podcast. What do we do about conflict? Conflict between siblings? I saw a really funny tweet from somebody that had a picture of uh, two daughters with their arms around each other and said, this is the first five minutes in the last four weeks that they've gotten along. <laughs> Good one. There's a lot of conflict that starts to come to home when everybody's on top of each other. A siblings getting on each other's nerves, fighting with each other, parents and, and, and kids getting struggling with each other, parents struggling with each other, spouses yeah. struggling with each other on yeah. all this. What sort of conflict resolution principles have been helpful in the school space? Because I know this is also an issue, even at the elementary school level, kids don't always get along. There's rivalries, there's cliques, there's, there's fights. Yeah. How do you handle all of this? I have a couple things to say about that. The first one is that um, I think we need to really remember mindfulness and, and, and meditation and breathing exercises. Because I think all of us have this stress level that is just so high right now. And we need to acknowledge it, sit with it, and be willing to um, take time to really calm your body down. So I did. I do a weekly video for the kids, and and one, my one this week is really going to be focused on just taking five minutes a day to to meditate. And for for kids, that's very simple. It's just focusing on their breath. That's all. I mean, actually, it's simple for anyone, but for kids especially, you just focus on breathing in and out and not talking and just being still for a minute. 
So that's the first one, because I feel like conflict is going to go down if your stress level goes down. Right. And then the second thing I wanted to say is that a lot of times during school, I'll have kids get sent to my office and they're sent for a fight or for, a, you know, um, talking badly to each other. By the time I get to them, half the time they're hugging and they're best friends again. Mm. So I think it's important to let kids solve their own conflicts when they can. And there's obviously going to be times when we have to step in and, and have to help them. But the first thing is let them try it. Kids are good. They, they, they can do it. They know how to figure things out. A lot of times they'll make deals with each other and you can see them doing it. They negotiate with each other and they figure it out. And I think allowing them to do that really gives value to their voice and the, their ability to solve conflicts on their own. Yeah. Seeing them as people and allowing them to figure that out themselves is, is really key. And then there's times when obviously they can't and we're going to have to step in either as a principal or as right now as parents, if you've got siblings fighting. Um, so I think my biggest thing for helping kids solve problems is helping them see um, the other side of the conflict. And this actually is really hard for kids because they're very altruistic and they 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 live in their own world and they they, it, they really do have a hard time seeing the other point of view. Um, a lot of times they see themselves as victims and that, that it's all the other person's fault and it's never their fault. Adults too, um, Eliza. Adults yeah, do. adults do, right? Yeah, adults do. But so for kids, what, what I've done that's worked really well is just a lot of role playing. You know, um, seeing, you know, setting up the scenario where I put the, the child in the position of the other, of the opposite person, and I try and help them walk through what would that feel like if you were the one being hit or um, if you were the one that they grabbed your pack, your learning packet and crumpled it up. What, what feelings would come up if that happened to you? Just to help them see the other side of the conflict. I think this is, a, again, a really great, important idea and it makes me think of Arbinger has a uh, what they call a, a pyramid. The pyramid is about to approach somebody that you want to change. And that's that's really a big part of of what's happening here. So I'm going to share my screen. Sorry for those of you listening. And you can see over the left, the influence pyramid and, and look at the top of the pyramid, which is correct, which is kind of where we get stuck a lot as parents. We're constantly correcting. We're constantly coming in again and again and again. And, and trying to tell them what's going wrong. And underneath that is teach and communicate. And again, I think this is where we get caught a lot as parents, right? That if we're not correcting, we're telling, right? We're yeah. communicating. The communication's coming from us to them. And notice that there's three things underneath that. And they're at the bottom of the pyramid because they're more foundational, listening and learning, right? Spending more time listening and learning, understanding what's going on with our kids, building relationships, Right. In other words, our children aren't going to open up and tell us what's going on if they don't feel trust, if they don't feel like they're going to be heard, if they feel like they're going to get in trouble or lectured to or whatever. So they have to have the relationship that I, I love you regardless of what you've done or regardless of the mistakes that you're making right now or even just the thoughts that are going on in your head right now, because I think a lot of kids are struggling with a lot of things and are afraid to share those even thoughts that they're having right now because of this. That, that my love for you is constant through all that. And the last one just is a blue thing, but it's really that idea of seeing people a, as people. And, and you notice there's three things at the bottom here, work bottom up, 
Most time and effort should be spent on the lower levels of the pyramid. The more that we're building relationships, the more that we're seeing our children as people, the more that we're listening and learning, the less time we have to spend correcting and teaching and communicating. This is fire prevention versus constantly running around and and putting out fires, right? And so this pyramid, I keep it with me a lot because I wonder if I'm struggling with somebody right now, where am I stuck right now? And it's almost always I'm stuck at the top when I need to go lower. So number two, when stuck, go lower. The solution to a problem at one level of the pyramid is always below that level of the pyramid. It's not more communication or more correction. It's actually going down lower if things aren't working and trying to understand what's going on. And then mindset matters most. My effectiveness at any level of the pyramid, my influence depends on the lowest level of the pyramid, my mindset. And when we're talking about mindset, what we're actually talking about is I'm seeing them as a person or I'm seeing them as an object, right? I'm either inward mindset, I'm only thinking about how my kids are irritating me right now and how frustrating it is to me, or I'm outward mindset where I'm really trying to understand why are they calling my name 500 times or why are they struggling to do their homework right now or or why are they so needy today? And really trying to understand where that's coming from are the solution to our problems. And so then over on the right, you see the outward mindset pattern, which is, okay, how do we, how do we fix these things? We see other people. We strive to understand others' needs, objectives, and challenges. We adjust our efforts. I like that this was your flexibility thing, right? If what we're doing isn't working, try to understand why it's not working and adjust. Make changes. Even if, it, even if it's just temporary, make changes for the day. And then measure impact. Go back and really try to understand, you know, hey, is this something that ultimately is, is something that's it's helpful and actually helpful? helping the kids. And uh, that's a tool that I use uh, that I think parents could could grasp onto as well. And if you're stuck with one of your kids, ask yourself, where am I at on that pyramid right now? And if I'm doing just a ton of correction and a ton of teaching and communicating, I'm spending too much time on the wrong things. I, I like that visual because the pyramid, teaching correct is at the top, which means it's less time. Right. So if you, you know, if you're just always telling your kids what to do and how to do it and when to do it, um, that it just is exhausting for the kids and there's no relationship built. So you have to really think about the bottom of the pyramid is, is this long bar, which means the rest of the day, we got to really connect with the kids and play with the kids and, um, go surf with the kids or, you know, do whatever we need to do as a family to connect because it's not only about teaching and learning it's about connecting and building those relationships ultimately that that is the key and you know in dangerous love we talk about easy love and hard love and i've had a couple parents tell me it's really hard to love my kids right now i'm exhausted i'm overwhelmed i've got my own worries and concerns that are going up we know that there's families who have lost their jobs that are wondering how they're going to pay their mortgage or their rent or or pay for groceries there's people that have concerns about health concerns or they have immune immune compromised people in their family i mean there's so many concerns that people have and and i'm having a hard time loving my kids right now and then they feel bad about it and and my response is look Easy love is the sort of love when people make it easy for you to love them. And it's nice to have people like that in our lives, people that remember us and, and are kind to us and compliment us and, and take care of us and you know all of that. That, that sort of love is, is great, but it's not lasting or enduring. And when we talk about dangerous love, we're actually talking about the loving the people that are hardest to love. 
at the moment. That That's where the challenge really comes. And if we can't practice it with our children, we're gonna have a really, really hard time practicing it with other people in our life. And so I would say, let go of the stigma for a minute that it's hard to love your kids right now. I think that while a lot of people wanna admit it publicly, it's really, really hard for lots and lots and lots of people to be loving their kids or their spouses. Or their spouse, I was gonna say. Or, or, their, or spouse. their spouses right now. That part's okay, that it's hard. But don't say hard means I'm not a good mom or I'm not a good dad or hard means that I've married the wrong person or whatever. That's not what hard means. Hard just means that I need to double down in trying to understand their needs, wants, desires, and and take a deep dive there. And it means that at the same time, for some of you that struggle with this, that I need to be better at articulating my own needs, wants, and desires as well. And, and for some moms, that's the challenge is they have to be not afraid to speak up. Loving someone actually includes helping them understand how to love you and, and, and what's best for you. That's actually part of our duty in loving and loving someone as well. And so if that's what you're afraid of, okay, if what you're afraid of is this person's really annoying me right now, and because of that, everything's broken, everything's not broken. It's, it's okay. I think that's going to be the norm throughout the, the world. Don't give up. And instead of just being annoyed, try to understand what is that behind that that's annoying me and what sort of things do I need to do to change? Do I need to create boundaries? Do I need to do this? Do I, you know, what, what is it that would be helpful? But, but be helpful. I wanted, I wanted to say one more thing on that too. Like I, I do feel like everybody is so stressed and everybody has a story, whether it's t- you're taking care of your kids or you're, you know, you're maybe you're living alone. That's another whole story where you're just feeling so isolated. Uh, maybe you have an elderly parent at home that you're taking care of. There's all kinds of stories that people are, are stressed in quarantine. And I, I think gratefulness is such a huge tool to really help um, bring your stress levels down, to really start making a list of what you're grateful for, what things are going well, what are some silver linings that are happening because of this, because there are silver linings. And I have a hard time finding them sometimes. There are days when I'm like absolutely depressed. I mean, it is, it's devastating for me to be away from my kids at school. I miss these kids like there's no tomorrow. I just, that prayed yesterday just was exactly what I needed because I needed to remember that I'm grateful for these families. And I'm grateful for the chance I have to connect to them on a drive-by parade and through Zoom and through you know the, every way that I can. But it, it's important to remember gratefulness, I think, and mindfulness as we go through all of this. It's great, great advice. If there's one thing that I think COVID-19 is teaching the world is that when you strip away all the other things that distract us in our life, and, and keep us busy and that are important to us, and you strip all of that away, you're left with relationships. And yes. those are the things that endure. Those are the things that can create a lot of heartache and can be challenging, but they're the things that are worth investing our time and our energy and getting right, much more so than all that other stuff that we were so busy doing uh, all the rest of the time. And so love dangerously, love your children dangerously, follow, the tips that Eliza gave us uh, in this podcast. I really think they can be helpful to a lot of people. And we'll be back next week talking about actually conflict in the Middle East and, <laughs> and peace players 
And wow. we're going to talk to some young Israelis and Palestinians and hear about their lives and what they're doing right now and how they're still working on the peace process, even despite the fact that they're also right now locked in place. <laughs> You've been listening to Thanks the Dan- for having me. Yeah, of course, Eliza. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. You've been listening to the Dangerous Love Podcast. Aloha. Aloha.